Attention citizens of the Empire and all Outer Rim territories, this episode contains spoilers. I repeat, this episode contains spoilers. You have been warned. Carry on. I'm asking you to leave us alone, Ben. I mean it. Is he okay? You don't care if he's okay. You care if he's showing. It's my responsibility, Owen. Well, I'm his uncle. We talked about this. When the time comes, he must be trained. Like you trained his father? This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, but it feels close like a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. This is Mark Marquis, the host of Forever Star Wars, and I'm here doing something unique and special. I've done it a couple of times before where I have a uh, unscripted conversation with somebody uh, that I enjoy talking about Star Wars with, and this time I have the pleasure and honor to do something that I have never done on Forever Star Wars before, but um, I wanted to do this because this person is somebody that I have shared Star Wars with for my entire life. Um, and he is my, sort of my Wookiee co-pilot for Star Wars. Um, I'd like to introduce everyone to my brother, Brandon. It's Brandon Marquis, not Brandon Boylan. So let's get that clear right up front. And uh, why don't you say hi, Brandon? How's it going, folks? Not, hopefully not as hairy as your Wookiee co-pilot. <laughs> Noel, nothing wrong with that. So, um, so what I wanted to do here <laughs> was to just have a very casual conversation. Like I wanted to record and in the context of this is just how we talk Star Wars, but just record it for the show because you know one of the things that's important to me is seeing Star Wars through the lens of found family or through family connections. And I do think that Star Wars is a family generational phenomenon where people share it with their kids and they share it with their you know family members and friends. So I just wanted to kind of capture that in this episode. Um, and so what we've done is Brandon and I have watched the series separately and we have held withheld all of our opinions from each other and uh, in anticipation of this episode or this recording. So this is the first time that we have talked about Obi-Wan. So you're going to get to hear how we as brothers talk about Star Wars. And we may go off on tangents and, you know, uh, uh, I've already found out that Brandon has told me he is very prepared for this. <laughs> you took massive notes. Is that correct? I'm going to school. I'm going to Star Wars school this yeah, week. Yeah, you went, you went Star, Wars, Star Wars school on this one, and that's good because I did not like do extensive research or record things, you know, record names, and I don't remember the names of a lot of the planets. So, you know, Star Wars fans, you're just going to have to be real chill with me on this one because uh, I'm going to I got you covered. I've got yeah, you covered. Brandon's got me covered on this one. So, uh, 
So uh, if I if I rem- if I don't remember somebody, I'll just say Brandon. What's what was that character's name? So um, so what I wanted to do is start the conversation with um, how did we what were we anticipating from this show before it aired? Like when we first heard that announcement that they were going to do this way back in gosh, I don't remember what year it was, but it was the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So w- what were our thoughts and, and feelings about what we wanted to see and our expectations of that back in the day. So I'll let you go first, Brandon. Do you want my hot take? I've got a hot take of the whole show. We're all about hot takes here, so have at it. Okay, now this is my hot take of Obi-Wan. Going into the show, knowing that it was going to be a movie, and then now it's a TV show. I think we were given a story about Obi-Wan we think we wanted, but received the Leia story we needed. Ah, yes. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. That was my impression going halfway through the show. And I was like, at this point, I don't really care about what happens, what's going on with Obi-Wan. But we also got the Obi-Wan story we needed. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I, think, I think they did wrap it up very well. I think that they, they did do justice to Obi-Wan's story or the one that we didn't think we needed or some people didn't think we needed and I was skeptical but I think they did a really good job at the end of the series wrapping it up and filling in the gap you say you were skeptical Mm -hmm. so what was it you were skeptical about initially well I guess it's like so what we're gonna just you know when I hear about okay we're gonna we're gonna focus they're gonna focus on Obi-Wan on Tatooine watching over Luke this is spoiler territory, right? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're good. You're good. We're good. Spoil away. <laughs> so, you know, it, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me. I thought, okay, what's this show going to be about? It's going to be about Obi-Wan that is sitting in the desert with binoculars watching Luke from a distance. And maybe there's a time where he'd have to protect him once or twice from Tusken Raiders or... Maybe there's some other threat that comes from the outside that he'd have to be a hero and jump in and save the day without maybe interacting with the Owens or Luke. Uh, And then I was like, well, okay, that's interesting. I guess it's an excuse to get some more uh, screen time for Ewan McGregor. And that's cool. I want to see him on the screen again. But like, is that, I mean, what else are they going to do? But like when they cut away to... Alderaan. And uh, two or three seconds, and I knew it was Alderaan. And I was like, no. No way. I was yeah. like, wait, they're they're going to... I mean, that was the second no way. The first one being the Jedi. They start with a Jedi temple. And I was like, yeah. no way. They're not going to do this. Yeah. And then the second big, big shocker in the first episode was, oh, oh my God, they're going to Alderaan. Who's on Alderaan? I mean, it, like literally all these thoughts go in my head in like two seconds. Leia's on Alderaan. Bale's on Alderaan. Like, we're going to see Jimmy Smits. We're going to see a young Leia. Like, what? what is this going to be? And I was just, like, the whole time, the music swelling. John Williams is just, I mean, such an amazing score. I mean, that that is the, the biggest gift, I think, from this series is hearing John Williams, and which is super, super good. Like, I, I was just amazed by his score on this one. Yeah, yeah. Now he did the main score. Um, he did like Obi Wan's theme, like the title theme of Obi Wan. Um, 
but um, a woman composed the rest of the score. And again, this is where this is one of those things where I didn't do my preparation and I don't remember her name, so I apologize. But um, Natalie Holt. Natalie Holt is the name of the composer who who composed uh, the majority of the soundtrack. And she worked in, you know, obviously used John Williams' um, theme, Obi-Wan theme. I thought her score was really, really good in, in a lot of places. But going back to what you were saying about expectations and, and you used the word gift to talk about, like it was a gift to get this from, from John Williams, which, you know, every Star Wars project that he has contributed something to in the Disney era, I think because we just don't know how many more of these he wants to do. And so I think every time we hear that he's going to do another one of these, it feels like a gift because we just don't expect him to keep doing it. So I'm just thankful at every single opportunity to hear a, a new John Williams score. And mm -hmm. another reason why it's interesting that you said gift is that, that I've seen like tons of conversation online and on Twitter and people are saying the same thing about this series is that it feels like a gift. And when you were describing that moment where the show cuts to Alderaan, like that was my reaction as well. Like I was like, I watched it at Celebration and I'm watching it in my hotel room on a tiny little crappy iPad, but I'm sitting there, you know, <laughs> on my bed, like going, no, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> they're showing us Leia. They're giving us Leia. Like I was yeah. just like saying this out loud as we're wa as I was watching it. Medical fighter. Pleasure barge. Boring. Casino ship. Not bad. Ooh, a tri wing. That's a new one. Unicolian ranger. Probably scouting for Mersan pirates. No. And then, like, I started tearing up because... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the music, the way it was... I love that little that little um, misdirect in the beginning where it's, it's they, you know, you think it's her, but it's not her. And then they cut to her running out into the forest and climbing the tree, and I just, the tears started coming. I was just like, I just didn't expect to see Leia. It, it was like, I... I guess in, there was a part of me that thought that because Luke and Leia as young adults were so iconic in the franchise that we saw them as babies. Of course, George wanted to show their birth, but like he, you know, he skipped over all that time to then, you know, tell the story in A New Hope. Like if that's, he didn't feel the need to show them growing up. And I thought, well, maybe that's because... Mm -hmm he didn't necessarily feel like we needed to see the in-between parts. And so maybe Lucasfilm would want to honor that by, by like keeping, you know, Luke confined to just Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher as Leia, mm -hmm. like just have them be those characters. So when they have these children playing them, I, I was just like, they're actually going to do this. Like we are going to see Leia as a child and the way that this dovetails so perfectly into the end of Revenge of the Sith, where, you know, Obi-Wan is delivering these children to where they're going to be and, who, and who's going to take care of them. And he walks away and like, 
you know, you think at the end of that, like, okay, he'll just hang out and we won't hear any more of his story until he meets up with him in A New Hope. This ended up being something that, like you said, like we thought we we knew what we wanted from an Obi-Wan story, but this ended up tying the Obi-Wan series to both A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith in a way that this truly feels like the movie in between. I, I thought of that too. And I thought, dare I say, this is, does all about of, of an impressive job as Rogue One did. Yeah. I think it's like, it's, I think Rogue One, as much as that felt like, oh, wow, this is cool. Like Vader's coming on the ship, you know, like, and we see that together, we get that amazing action sequence in Rogue One and we see the battle that happened for the plans of the Death Star we didn't know happened in that amazing battle that, Probably is one of the best battle sequences since Episode Three, and we get all that. And it, and this show felt like the emotional strings, mm-hmm. like you said, between Episode Three and and A New Hope. That's see, that's that's exactly what I mean. Like it, it, it is, it is the emotional successor to the story that George finished telling in Revenge of the Sith. Like it, this picks right up and is you know a lot of the legends books would go into these tangents of like telling these side stories about what happened to these characters in between or and it always felt like supplemental stuff like it was just stuff that if you wanted to read it it's great and it but if you didn't need to read it and didn't care it didn't really count and like i thought that that an obi-wan movie would be either the focus would be on luke but more likely that it was just going to sort of tell like a story that was based on Tatooine and ha- and what was Obi-Wan doing while he was hiding out. Like this would be a story about that. Yeah, that's the misdirection. The misdirection is, oh, we're going to get a story about Obi-Wan, the, the, uh, the, I said the Owens early, the Lars, I should have said. Yeah. We're going to get a story about the Lars and then Obi-Wan and Luke. And uh, okay, what's young Luke going to be like? And it's like, this show is like, no, you're not going to get anything before Luke. You're going to get Leia. Like complete misdirection. And it, and it was so elegant the way that it was like, if you're going to have a story where Obi-Wan has to leave Tatooine, if it had been any other plot, if it had been any other like, well, he has to go, he goes to this planet to help some people and blah, 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 blah. It would feel forced. It wouldn't make any sense. Right. It was like, why would he... No pun intended. Why would he, why would he abandon his mandate? of protecting Luke. Well, obviously the only thing that could get him to leave would be Leia. Right. And yet it's so simplistic. It's so obvious. It's like, so, well, of course. (laughs) And yet we didn't see it coming. Uh, That, that kind of discovery of when you sort of discover star Wars in a way that you didn't expect is, is a gift. That's not the only way that the show subverted expectations. Oh, yeah. Okay. It well, it's like a theme, a theme throughout Star Wars is that like you think you're you think you know what to expect from a character and then it surprises you. But that's Star Wars. That's been Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back. Well, give me an example. Well, I mean, I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but not well, not too far ahead, but like after watching the first episode twice, or part one, I'm sorry, <laughs> they call it part one. I'm like, oh no. So there'd be a lot of casual, I quote, 
air quotes, you won't see my air quotes, casual fans that I've talked to in the past that hated, now this is a tangent, don't get me wrong, but like this is this is what I initially thought, like, oh boy, people are going to hate this show, they're going to hate Obi-Wan's character because he is not the hero we remember from episode three. Mm, what does mm-hmm. that sound like? That sounds like The Last Jedi, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh no. This is like now. This is like the Last Jedi all over again. This is you know everyone's gonna dismiss this show because Obi Wan. Oh, I liked Obi Wan from Episode Three. What happened? You know. Well, yeah. You know the difference is we saw what happened in Episode Three, so there should be no confusion about where Obi Wan is uh, mindset, where his emotions are right now, and that's affecting his his connection to the Force. That's that's exactly what happened to Luke, but we didn't explicitly see that happen to Luke. So a lot of people were confused. Well, why is he throwing away the lightsaber? That doesn't make any sense. That's not the Luke I remember. Well, there's a lot of story. There's a lot of things like he failed. Uh, he failed his nephew like Obi-Wan failed his former Padawan. Yeah. And I think that's like that's the that's important. But the important thing is we see it this time. We saw a whole movie dedicated on that. Yeah, we saw we saw it as a flashback. You know, we we did see that mo- like we saw what was the defining moment of misunderstanding of like of of Luke. You know, that moment that they clash. But after and, he throws away the lightsaber, right? Well, that's true. Yes, right, right. That is that's a good point. Yeah. So people are already on the um, um, mental, emotionally, they're already in the bad place with how that movie started. Well, it's interesting that you point that out because I had the same thought too. Like I thought, okay, what's the discourse going to be like around this? Because it is eerily similar to The Last Jedi. For the record, I I loved it though. (laughs) Well, of course, yeah. But the thing is, like I saw some, just a little bit of discussion where people were, you know, upset by the fact that he was so, you know, weak. One of the one of the criticisms of fandom that I have right now is that it seems like people have forgotten how to watch TV shows. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like you and I are from the generation where we were raised on TV, episodic television, and like <clears throat> we saw the birth of like long form storytelling in TV shows. In the early days, they used to be all episodic. Right. Like you didn't have plot points that that spanned multiple episodes and seasons. And Star Trek began playing around with that with Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, yeah, that was the first one that really did it on yep. a big scale. We just became accustomed. I guess Generation X was a generation that learned how to watch TV and be patient because we knew that the story would unfold down the line and we haven't seen the whole thing. One of the things that people were doing though with this series was like, they were complaining about Obi-Wan while ignoring the fact that this was an arc right? and that he would start out in this place and would end in a different place. And if you're just patient and you wait for two or three weeks, you're going to get the Obi-Wan you wanted to see. That's exactly what happened for almost everyone. Well, there there's, and there's, there's two other reasons why this happens and every time. And, and I cite, I cite video games as one of them. It's like when you play the sequel of the video game, they nerf your main character for a reason. <laughs> because they're going to build that character. You're going to build your character up throughout the game. And that's going to be more compelling to 
unlock these new abilities for your character. And by the end of the game, you're like Obi-Wan at the end of episode three. <laughs> but see, this one, they had to they had to bring Obi-Wan back down to a place where they can build him up. And he has that hero's journey. That was the whole point. And I, I explained that to somebody that that had a problem with Luke's character in in The Last Jedi. I said, like, the only like the way that you make him more heroic at the end of the movie is that you have to break him down first and then build him up. And and that's the hero's journey. We need to see that hero's journey because if you don't have that, it's not as interesting of a story. He's not as heroic at the end if we're not building him up to overcome the flaws in place. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the whole point of having a character go from point A to point B is to show the struggle to get there. Like that, that's what makes it a compelling character arc. But unfortunately there are some people who don't watch movies that way or shows that way. They, they have these, for them, Star Wars is a power fantasy and they want to see overpowered, you know, hero. They want their heroes. They want to you just see their heroes just being, badass at you know and 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 turned up to to an 11 on everything they do because they just sort of enjoy that aspect of it and they don't really care about stuff like uh more the nuanced stuff that you and i respond to that that makes for great compelling characters like i i love to see heroic characters that make mistakes and i love seeing villains who have a hint of humanity, like, like, like they can and sometimes do make the right choice because it just makes for a more nuanced character. I mean, it's just more interesting to watch for me. And if they're just, if every character is just 100% this or 100% that, it's just really dull to me, but that's just what I expect from Star Wars. So from that point, I guess we could go into like, what were some of the specific things that you saw in the, in the series that really jumped out at you? Like we've already discussed the Leia moment. I think we're both on, on the same page there for sure about that being like the big emotional moment. Well, what were some of the other like wow moments for you? The first was part two at the end where the Inquisitor Reva is chasing down Obi-Wan and they get to the docks. And she tells him, He's alive, Obi-Wan. Anakin Skywalker is alive. And I was like, wait a second. That she, <laughs> I don't think she should have known that. Right. Like, I, I don't think it's as, I don't, I think it's kind of a secret. Like, if I'm right. not mistaken, I think not a lot of people know especially the people that serve under Darth Vader that, or the, you know, the commanders and captains that he is, he was Anakin Skywalker. So, and to me, I was like that, like, I don't like that idea. Like, like it was, a, it was a shift in thinking of like, okay, so in this universe, like people know that he's Anakin. I was like, how's that going to play out? I was right. very skeptical. And I was like, what, what's, where are they going with this? But they explain it. And and if I was just patient, I would have, you know, and, and eventually he meets up with her again and asks her. And, you know, he, he figures it out about the same time I figured out. He's asking those questions, Obi-Wan. And like, 
oh, the only way she would know is if she was formerly uh, a Padawan. Right. That makes sense. And then immediately you know, okay, well, now I know where I know where Reva comes from now. Like I know where she, where she was during Order 66. The reason why to me that that I wasn't put off by that is because where that comes in the episode, it comes right at the end of the episode. And so I, I felt like that was a revelation that was placed at that point in the story as sort of not a cliffhanger, but like one of those things that leads you into, Oh, Oh, where's this going? So I kind it, to me, it was telegraphed as a, Oh, this is a new development. Well, we're like, wait till you find out like what's really going on here. Like it was, it, to me, it was placed in the story to be that, Oh, wait a minute. She shouldn't know who he is. Why does she know who he is? And a lot of people just really jumped to the wrong conclusion and called it retconning. They're they're trying to retcon uh, the story. And it's like, again, it's like there are people who are just dead set on being negative about Star Wars. And they are looking for all the ways it's going to fail along the way. You know, if that's my my initial impression was that I was skeptical. I was like, "Uh, okay, where are they going with this? Like I, my immediate knee jerk reaction was, what? That can't be right. And then I'm just, but I didn't, I didn't curse the dark darkness. I was just like, oh, okay, well, let's see where this goes. Like, how is this going to play out? You know, I was more skeptical and curious than I was, but my first impression was, wait, that, is that right? Like, I, I didn't think that was the way Darth Vader's character was seen. So I was, like I said, I was more skeptical, but I was at the same time thinking, oh no, this is, a lot of people are not going to like this. (laughs) Yeah. um, A lot of people, there were, I've seen some discussions about Reva where um, the, the response to Reva has been all over the board, like, like from the really negative like actually like reprehensible responses where people were just being like grossly racist towards the actress. Like, and that, that part of the fandom is just trash. So we won't discuss that, but to other people who were like having issues with her performance and the way that she sort of presented herself as an inquisitor, they said, something's not right here. But, um, Alex Damon, who's on Star Wars Explained channel, he was talking about this and how he was having, he was struggling with the performance. It seemed like she was overcompensating or maybe, you know, projecting something that was not, didn't feel quite right and he couldn't figure it out. And then he said, well, later you realize that she was a Padawan. Like she, the reason she's not uh, coming across as somebody who is like fully committed to being an Inquisitor is that she has this agenda that comes from the trauma of living through Order 66. She is dead set on making sure that she gets vengeance on Anakin Skywalker. And so so her focus is not... And if she's got to cut off a few hands, then like, well, you know, no problem. Yeah, so <laughs> my partner Steve was like, I think maybe she might be a good guy and this is all a misdirect and that we're going to find out that she's, she's actually a hero. And I said... Yeah, I don't think so because she's she cut that woman's hand off. That's <laughs> usually a, <laughs> dismemberment is usually a dead giveaway that you're not a good guy. <laughs> right. 
Well, usually that that comes with the territory. When a lightsaber comes out, you're, you're going to lose an appendage. It's just yeah, a matter I, I, of time. Yeah, I mean, uh, Obi Wan cut off an arm in in the cantina, but he was he was protecting Luke. So you know, if if you if you dismember uh, someone who unprovoked violence through dis, uh, like if your response is dismemberment, you're probably a bad guy. <laughs> you're you're lucky to just lose a limb at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so now you play video games. You probably have played more video games than I do. Um, you have played Fallen Order, have you not? Yes. Jedi Fallen Order. So how did you feel seeing so many things in that game being brought into the live action, like the Fortress Inquisitorius? Uh, the large pyramid in the water. Place. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay, that's that's an interesting thing. I, I didn't remember that from the game. Um, in fact, when I finished uh, watching the series, I downloaded the game again, but did not have time to play it. Mm. So I was I was curious because I was going to go to do the research and say, okay, how many of the brothers and sisters were in Fallen Order, and do does one of them appear here? Like I couldn't remember if the fifth brother, who's played by Sang Kang, Sung Kang. Uh, the actor from Fast and Furious franchise uh, that plays Han. Uh, I was like, I couldn't remember if he was in that game or not. Um, and I knew that there were a couple of the brothers and sisters we saw in Rebels. Um, I think he was in Rebels, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. The Grand yeah. Inquisitor was. Well, yeah, definitely. I don't remember if the... But I was, I was trying to remember, didn't the fifth brother was a character in Rebels, and didn't he... You no, I was thinking of bounty hunter. I'm thinking of a bounty hunter that has the same hat. Those hats <laughs> go oh, around yeah, the that's, galaxy. Yeah, quite that's a true. Bit, I think. Yeah. So I was thinking of the bounty hunter that has the similar shaped hat. But anyway, yeah, I was kind of confused because when I, I was I was trying to think of how many of the brothers and sisters we saw there, and how many of the ones I remember from Rebels, and I didn't do enough research to go back and play the game again or uh, rewatch the episodes of Rebels that have the Inquisitors in them. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did kind of remember the Grand Inquisitor. So when Reva puts a lightsaber in him, I'm like, okay, well, this is interesting, but he's not gone because we're going to see him again in Rebels. So it's kind of like, so how does, I, I guess like a lightsaber through the body is not like always fatal. <laughs> so we, we get that a couple of times in the series. Like, oh, well, it's not the end of the world when you get a lightsaber. I, I think at this point in Star Wars, the only the only deaths that really stick are let's see being burned into a skeleton oh yeah no check getting beheaded you don't come back from being beheaded check yeah um if you explode <laughs> in an explosion right. in, in a in a starship yeah 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 fire, you don't yeah. come back from that but being cut in half being impaled and, uh, and losing an appendage is a slight setback Right, exactly. Uh, getting cut in half is a setback, apparently. But that makes you right, wonder. Right, right. Yeah. But but it makes you wonder: Did the Jedi? Did they burn Qui Gon too quickly? <laughs> Could they not have maybe saved Qui Gon? <laughs> I mean, did they want to? <laughs> yeah, maybe Maul didn't like take out any vital organs. You know, I, I, I feel like the the Jedi may have been a little rash. I think they might have been a little rash yeah, there. It, it's it's a shame. I, I didn't but. see I didn't see Obi Wan checking for a pulse. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Hey, uh, 
we've got Fennec Shan. She was shot and left for dead in the desert and was literally dead. And she got brought back. So <laughs> even even checking for a pulse doesn't really help. Yeah, she just she just lost a few organs. Just had her entire midsection rebuilt with with robot parts. Well, well, let me ask you quick quick question because we I got on a sidetrack for the second because the second episode I think I'm done talking about that one. I mean, there's some other interesting things that happened, but that was the big revelation. I was getting to part three. What did you think about Obi Wan and Vader's confrontation? Oh, okay. All right. So that's, I'm glad you asked me that because that is going to bring us to the only really negative thing I have to say about this series. I feel let down that this was not a major motion picture because more than any other Star Wars show, this looked like a TV show. Like it looked like it was made on a TV budget. And I have not been saying that about a lot of the other Star Wars shows. They feel much more expensive looking. And, and the technology that they use to make a lot of these scenes, it's called, what is it called? Volume. It's called the volume. The volume is great for being able to record places or take characters to places they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And it keeps the cost down. But man, there were places in this series where you could really see that it was being used and it just made the series look and feel cheaper than it, than I feel like it needed. It deserved better, in my opinion. This was such a good story that it really deserved like lots and lots of money being thrown into it. And it's just such a shame to me. And that episode, while it was a lot of it was filmed, some of it was looked like it might have been filmed on location in like a rock quarry or something. But it was such a nondescript location that it felt like a cheap lo- like a cheap place to film that, like their first face-to-face confrontation. I didn't have an issue with the way that the scene played out with Obi-Wan struggling and like being more of like just being chased by Vader. That was fine. Like that was that's what you expect to see. I have something to say about that. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. But so <clears throat> that part I didn't that part didn't bother me at all. Um, I, I like the scene where he he sets this I don't know like rocks or something or I don't know what they were, but he ended up setting them on fire, and they have that exchange where Vader says, "I am what you made me." Which was yeah. so perfectly um, Shakespearean. <laughs> well, it was, but it was also very, very Anakin. Like he, he just, he was the kind of person who he would not take responsibility for his own actions, and it was always someone else's fault. You know, he went, he killed those, those, those that Tuscan tribe who captured his mother, yeah. and he blames Obi Wan. I killed them because it's all Obi Wan's fault, and it's like. You know, dude, <laughs> you know, you have got to yeah. take responsibility for your own actions. Everything is always somebody else's fault. So I loved hearing that because it was very consistent with the character of Anakin. But I just felt like that whole episode was just shot in a way that just really took me out of it, that it was it was a TV show. And I don't like watching Star Wars and being reminded that I'm watching a TV budget, you know, TV budget. Um, it should be bigger than that. So that was my view of, of that episode. Well, I, I think that was a second misstep of the show. And, you, and you're right. I retroactively forgave 
part two because I was like, okay, Reva, you know, Reva was a Padawan, so her knowing that that's Anakin makes sense, um, that she would know that. Um, even though, if you think about it, she never really saw Anakin go into the suit, so you, there's still some question there of how she would know unless she sensed it using the Force. Mm. But anyway, yeah. that being said, um, I felt that this was fan service, that they had a confrontation at all here. Mm. Like I felt like if they didn't sh- give the fans what they wanted early in the series, people would give up mm. on it. I see. And I think what I think what they should have done, which is like this is armchair quarterbacking, but I think they should have I think he should have ran from Vader, never confronted each other. I think uh. he, he Vader should have chased Ben and Ben would have been running away from Vader like he's running away from his past. He yeah. doesn't want to face the reality that that maybe part of what Vader said he actually believes that maybe he did create him. Yeah. And I think he maybe that that's partly, you know, remorse that you, you know, a lot of of Ewan McGregor's performance in part one, you see that regret. You see him t- trying to talk to Qui-Gon and, and you know why he's down. You know why he's depressed because, you know, he's in this low place because of what happened. So I think that he should have been running throughout the whole series. And then at the end, we see that he finally has the courage to confront Vader to stop this vicious cycle. And I think that is that should have been that would have made that that last confrontation so much more powerful. But I think that's having this weird confrontation where they clash sabers a while. Obi-Wan's not back up to strength. He's still weak. He still doesn't really in tune with the force. That makes sense. I understand why Obi-Wan's weak there. I just don't like the way that it was that cat and mouse and Vader kind of pulls a Jason at one point and he's like, yeah. Obi-Wan runs away from him. He's far away. And all of a sudden Vader's right behind him. <laughs> like that's like something we'd see in the, in the Friday, the 13 movies. Vader did that before. He yeah, did it. Yeah. He did it with Luke and empire where he like literally sneaks up behind him and, and people have joked of like, was he holding his breath? <laughs> as he walked up because you know you can hear yeah, breathing yeah. from a mile away but and i i actually did think did you notice that did you notice that 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 obi-wan does it to vader yes he does it to vader later he sneaks up on him right i was gonna that's what i was getting to is that i think that it is perhaps a force ability like that's what we that's what we don't realize is that the ability to sort of stealthily sneak up on somebody without them hearing you is a, is a force ability it's, it's like they're not that's true yeah, so it's really more about like they're just muffling their own sound or something. Like they're you're using that to sneak but, up on somebody. Right. But also my problem is like the whole like I thought like him setting the rocks on fire was cool, but it's like okay, so okay, I'm dragging him through the rocks and I'm just like, okay, like I guess this makes sense because, you know, he 
he wants to burn. He wants to make Obi Wan feel the same pain he felt. I get it. Yeah. But then, like, once Tala shows up and shoots the quarry, the rock quarry, and explodes, and there's just more fire. Then Vader just sits there and watches the loader robot, just you know, droid, take Obi Wan away. And I'm like, okay, he so he doesn't have the force. He doesn't. He doesn't like use the force again. Or like, why would he allow him to escape? He's just letting him go at that point. So why? Why would he let him go? And I was like, why don't he just grab him or something? And and that shows up later where Vader's chasing them again, and a ship takes off. And it's like, okay, this is it, it, well, didn't make sense in part two where the ship takes off and Reva just watches them. I was like, she's got the force. She can disable the ship. Why doesn't she do anything like that? Why don't we ever see Maul or anyone that has the Force use it on a on a fleeing ship? How come we never see that? And we do see that here, which was which I was very pleased. We finally saw Vader use the Force to grab the fleeing ship from the uh, the path that was trying to escape. That was an incredibly cool scene. Like I, I had to go back and rewatch it because the the second ship is right there the whole time. You just don't notice it because, like Vader, you're focused on that first one. And the what what I loved about that was it showed we got to see Vader like being this incredible like monster, like with the Force, and like that's that and like the scene in Rogue One at the end with him just like tearing through the the Rebel soldiers, like that's that's what makes him scary as a character and and i'm, I'm yeah, glad that's, that's why people fear him yeah and, and i'm glad that they are showing that like they because you know throughout the the original trilogy he never really exhibits that aspect and so you just have to believe that he's really that menacing and that terrifying but this actually shows you why he is why he has that reputation but the other thing that i loved about that scene that escape scene um, with the ship's, you know, misdirected of the ship was that that was Obi-Wan knowing Anakin and knowing how to outsmart him. You're a great warrior, Anakin, but you'll need to prove yourself as your undoing. And, and that's what I loved about the cat and mouse in the series, which often show Obi-Wan outsmarting Anakin or Darth Vader because he knows Anakin. And I was like, that's the kind of character interaction I want to see that carries over from the prequels. All right. And they show that in the flashback. So what do you think about the flashback? Oh, I love the way the flashback was was woven into that episode. No, you're talking about them not spending money. I was expecting deep fake here and they didn't do it. And I was surprised they didn't do it. Again, that's that's a good example of where it took me out a little bit, because if they had wanted to, to show Obi-Wan and Anakin looking exactly like their prequel selves, they have the money to do that. They can do that. They've, they've proven they can do it in the MCU. They, they've, you know, de-age people all the time. And it could have been pretty seamless at this point. And they just chose not to because they didn't want to spend the money on it. And it took me out. Was it enough to like make me hate the scenes? Of course not. I love seeing those scenes. I love seeing the interplay. Right. And I loved how those, those moments in their, in their duel as they're, as they're sparring, 
back in the in the flashback was woven into what was happening in this in the present and and that was like a really really nice framing device um so again a great another great example of the budget restrictions took me out of it somewhat and yet i ended up forgiving it because what it was doing in the story was so great we could talk about the series, I do think we could talk about it for hours, honestly, but I, I would sort of like to wrap up a little bit and maybe bring it back around to maybe our, uh, what were some of the, our takeaways from the way the series ended or like, uh, are there any special characters that you sort of want to call out and, and talk about? Um, or just what were your general feelings about the way that the series ended? Like how, how, uh, how did that all play out for you? Well, I'll go ahead and start by saying, and I think we touched on this, me t referring to this fact that this was going to start as a movie in the beginning. I, I, I think this is, I think this would have been, this is much better than a movie, any movie they would have made. I think that would have reduced our time with these characters. And I think we got a much more fulfilling uh, story out of it being on as TV series than we did if we had a movie. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm overall like, other than that misstep of kind of how they handled the first uh, interaction, I, I think that this is, I think that I'm, I'm a big fan of the show. I think the show, I was first very skeptical how they were going to play up, you know, Obi-Wan's um, his journey, but I think it ended really strong. I really enjoyed the last episode. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that was that was the confrontation that I kind of wanted them to the only confrontation I wanted to see was that confrontation. And it makes sense why he's you see Vader's failings when he's like instead of following the path, uh no pun intended, <laughs> he redirects the star story to follow Obi-Wan and like the inquisitors just standing there going it's a mistake. It's a mistake. <laughs> and it's like he's still like, you know, turns the Inquisitors like in his and his wry like English voice is like, we really should follow the path. Sorry. We should go after them. And, and that's that's hilarious. And I'm like, yeah, the Vader's not going to go for that. But but did you notice I'm, I'm jumping real quick because I know we're running low on time. Vader's stance changes when they're fighting. The way he holds the lightsaber two handed is is different. I didn't notice that. Is this now? We didn't see this in New Hope, of course. But is this is Vader's stance the same as Anakin? I'm sure someone that's more familiar with the uh, with the uh, Jedi fighting stances could probably answer that. I don't know enough of, about, about that part of Star Wars, mm -hmm. but I bet that there would they did that on purpose. I bet the reason Vader is using a different fighting style and stance is because that's part of Anakin coming out at that moment. Uh, and we see it again. So much symbolism in this episode. It mirrors, you know the episode, you're very, you're a huge Ahsoka fan. But the only two people to, to cut through Vader's helmet and get to Anakin was the two people that knew him the most. Right. It's Obi-Wan and, 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 and Ahsoka. And it was, it was two opposite sides of the helmet. So the, the side that, that Ahsoka cut ah. off was the left side and the side that, I didn't see that, that, oh, oh, okay. So here's, let me talk about that scene. So yes, it, it is very much like the Ahsoka 
and Vader fight from Twilight of the Apprentice on Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was intentionally done that way because just like George liked to say, it was an echo, it was a rhyme. They meant to echo that scene. Like they want those two confrontations by the two people that he was the closest to, to mirror one another. And they were literally mirroring one another by, by the different sides of the helmet being destroyed. But if you'll notice, well, gosh, I, there's so much I want to say about that. So to to go back to this idea that uh, they were the only two people that could get through the helmet and into Anakin for even a brief moment. Like it didn't work and it didn't stick, but at least they were the ones who were able to at least somewhat, t- you know, reach him. Um, right. But it was Luke who got to got to remove the helmet. Like the, like the such a beautiful metaphor of it was the sun. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, I could remove the helmet. I realized that. I, and, and like that, you know, I would love to see those scenes cut together, like spliced together, to, to like all those scenes from all those shows and movies spliced together to make that moment of showing like this is how he was brought back. Like these are the people that helped bring him back. Um, but when Obi-Wan slashes his helmet, he actually damages the top of Anakin's head, and that is the scar that you see on Anakin in Return of the Jedi. That, that's on the top. <laughs> yes, that that is that is where he got that scar. And it's funny because I've noticed that scar for so many years, and I thought, well, that doesn't look like a burn. It doesn't look like it looks like a gash. Like, how did he get that? Like, that didn't happen on Mustafar. Like, how did he get that? This is how he got it. I mean, it's it's one of those tiny details that is like. Yeah, that that's that's even better now that you told me that. Yeah, right. right? It's like there was that line in Return of the Jedi. Well, Obi Wan once thought as you do. Well, we knew that Obi Wan wasn't trying to bring him back from the the dark side on Mustafar. He was condemning him for his choice. He never said, you know. So, having you know their their confrontation happened in this series where. Obi-Wan just apologizes and like, I'm sorry that, that I did this to you um, was sort of Anakin seeing that as he's trying to reach out to me. And even if Obi-Wan didn't say there's still good in you, um, I think that Anakin felt that's what he was saying because, because when Anakin tell, when Darth Vader tells Luke that later, he's just thinking back on that confrontation and what he thought Obi-Wan was trying to do in that moment. And the reason why that's important to see it from Vader's point of view is that when Obi-Wan apologizes to him, he, he says that thing where he's like, You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And he said it in such a way that the first time I, I saw it, I thought that it was him trying to ease Obi-Wan's conscience of saying, you're not to blame here, I'm to blame. And I thought that was like a little bit of Anakin coming out in that moment. And then when I rewatched that scene, I saw that he really delivers it, Hayden delivers the line in a much more menacing way than I initially thought. And it's actually right. him, him saying, I'm this great thing now and you have nothing to do with it. You know, it, it was sort of a reversal of that earlier scene of I am what you made me. It was him 
being brought to his knees in that moment. And instead of turning to the, to the light again, he goes, I'm, I'm the one that did this. I'm, I'm, I killed Anakin. I destroyed him. He was weak. And I just, you know, and I'm what remains. When Obi-Wan like comes, comes around and they meet each other again, you know, he's like, you come here to kill me. And then Obi-Wan says, I will do what I must. And is that not like line for line, what he says in episode three, yeah. But then he he does the same thing he did in episode three. He does not he does not kill Vader. Again, he doesn't kill right. Vader. Right. But yeah. he he finds peace, but he doesn't kill Vader. So that's I find that very odd that like I guess he met his demons literally and figuratively, but he but still like he's like he does what he must, but he didn't again. But but I think that's the point. I think that's what brought him peace. I think his choosing not to destroy Vader was what helped finally bring him all the way back in touch with the force because he was never going to find his way back. If he, if he resorted to uh, destroying Vader, if that was his, his final option, especially after, you know, seeing some sliver of Anakin in there. And, and that is really what helps him become the, uh, the Jedi that he's meant to be. We also get the full circle where he he comes to terms like it explains why he lies to Luke in Empire Strikes Back and saying that I knew your father there's this other guy named Vader and he has that last line when he's leaving Vader where he tells him then my friend is truly dead and he says goodbye Vader and it's like that's where he like that's that's where he makes the choice that they are two separate people that like and this, like, all that, that's like the complete retcon is this, like, oh, so Obi-Wan is not just a jerk that he tells, he's a liar, just telling Luke, oh, well, it's a, what is the exact quote in Empire? He it's a matter of perspective or something like that. He tells him, like, well. It's a different point of view. Yeah, a different point of view. And it's like, all the fans will throw up their arms and go, come on! And it's, but this is like truly the way the force works and the way he sees Anakin and he wants to have that memory of Anakin and who he was and he was his friend and his Padawan and, and this, this thing that is Vader now is not, it's not the one that he remembers. He's not the same. So that, that makes sense to me, uh, as far as, and I thought that was nice too, uh, how they kind of. Uh, it came full circle there, and they're actually explaining why Obi Wan makes that distinction in the in the other movies. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't not necessarily anything that I needed to see. I mean, I would have been fine with him keeping it as being that he was just fudging the truth a little bit with with Luke. Um, but it, it was a, the 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 movie series did establish early on that that Vader saw himself as being two people like, like the former self and his new self. So, and, and Yoda tells Obi-Wan in, in episode three, you know, Anakin, Anakin's gone. He's been consumed by the dark side. He no longer exists. So the series has been sort of laying that groundwork for why Obi-Wan would see it that way. Um, You know, it, it wasn't necessary, but I, again, it's one of those little details where I don't mind that they connected the dots that way, uh, because it really, yeah. it really makes the, uh, it really makes the, the rewatching of A New Hope all that more important when you see like that final confrontation that they do have together on the Death Star, 
And this, this is one of those things where, like, I was doing a podcast recently for the Galactic Pod, and uh, one of the guests that was on there, whose name's Katie, she, she pointed this out, and it blew my mind. It blew all of our minds when she pointed this out. She's like, in that moment where he looks over and he sees, you know, Luke and Leia together as they're trying to get to the Millennium Falcon, you know, that's when he makes that choice where he looks back at Vader and he smiles, and it's like, this is, this is the moment. This is what... I wanted to see this is this is what I've been working towards all these years and they're together now and this is what I'm this is this thing I'm now going to do that's going to help them I'm going to become one with the force and one of the ways that this that moment ties into the Obi-Wan series is that when he does uh look at Vader and lets Vader make that final slash and disappears do you know what music plays Tell me. It's Leia's theme. Leia's theme plays. Really? The yes. No! Come on! Oh, come on! Come on! That, that blew our minds. It's like, so not only did the series like to show us more of Leia, it really did underline why he was, Obi-Wan was so important to her that, that she would reach out to him as a family friend. And yes, she does it formally. General Kenobi, years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars. Now he begs you to help him in his struggle against the empire. I regret that I am unable to present my father's request to you in person. But my ship has fallen under attack, and I'm afraid my mission to bring you to Alderaan has failed. Of course, she knows who he is, it, but it was more of a formal, she's being a diplomat, she's being very formal in her requesting assistance, um, as she does as a politician. But to see like that, that they do, that Obi-Wan and Leia have that connection, and that that's, that's the music that plays when he dies, was just so like, oh, wow. Let, let me talk about how crazy emotional I got when she got Tala's ho holster. Oh. How about that moment? <laughs> okay, yeah, go ahead. It's like, I mean, it was a very apparent in, I don't know, part five, I believe it was part five, where we saw, you know, the, the path be assaulted by the, the Empire and uh, at their base. And... Uh, they're retreating into the base, and then uh, Tala gets mortally wounded and then holds up a thermal detonator, which Leia also holds up in Jabba's palace. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's uh, foreshadowing. But, like, she sacrifices herself. I think Tala is a role model for who Leia's going to be. Oh, she, yeah. She definitely is. Yeah, yeah. Like she's yeah. getting her holster, and it's like, and then she doesn't. She doesn't put a gun in it. She puts a droid in it. It's so cute. Yeah, I, she I, puts a, uh, Lola in that holster, and I was <laughs> like, yeah, she's not old enough to use a gun, but she knows what's going to go in that holster later. She knows, she knows what she'll have to do to to protect the Rebel Alliance later. Yeah, we we have to wrap this up because it's going it's running a little long. But I, I couldn't end it without saying something about Tala. Like I really, really loved the character of Tala, and when she first like 
was when I knew she was cast for the show because she has played somewhat darker characters in other series. Like she was in Game of Thrones. She plays she play sort of a dark character there. And, you know, when I saw that she was cast as an Imperial officer, I thought, well, she's going to be a bad, a baddie. And so, again, going back to that thing you said earlier about how Star Wars loves to surprise you about char- with characters, it's yet another great character in a long line of characters that includes, you know, uh, Callus from Star Wars Rebels of these Imperial officers who have this, um, you know, crisis of conscience. Conscience. Yeah, where they where they, where they yeah. look around and they say, you know, we've become something horrible, and I'm I can't be this, and I can't do this, and I'm not going to do this. But she she stayed in it long enough to because she could be in a position to help these four sensitive people escape through this network, and uh, the fact that she was instrumental in that, and that that we got to see the earliest forming of the rebellion, and I love love that the earliest version of the rebellion was centered around trying to save Jedi. There's just something so beautiful about that. Like if these are people that are reaching out to the Jedi and to force sensitive people who are being persecuted for being different and they're being seen as a threat to the empire and the empire is going to wipe them out. And they were largely successful, but they weren't, totally and completely successful because regular people stood up and said, we can't do this. This is not going to happen. This, the, we're going to, we're going to have these people's backs and we're going to do it at great peril to ourselves. Yeah. Like there was no, this was the early days of the rebel Alliance when there was no Alliance. Like there was not a network of organized resistance. This was the early days where there were cells scattered here and there, and they were all vulnerable. It all leads to Jabim. From there, we give them new identities and, and get them out. There's a lot of good people risking their lives out there. Were they all Jedi? Not all. These days, the Empire hunts anyone who's force sensitive, even children. What happens to them? We're not sure. No one ever sees them again. And these people who stepped up in the early days, like Tala, they did so at great, great risk to themselves. And to me, it's all the more heroic. And that's really what Star Wars is all about. It's about telling these stories of how these regular people step up. And in some ways, they're extraordinary and they have Force abilities. And in other ways, they're just regular people who believe in what the Force stands for. Right. And I think that's maybe the way that I want to wrap up this episode is just sort of to say that in, in spite of like the little nitpicky things I had to say about the way the series was executed... Um, this really did feel like a gift. It felt like everything that I wanted to see in a Star Wars story. And yet it gave me, gave it to me in ways I didn't expect to see. And I didn't know that I wanted to see. And it ended up showing me things that were very much Star Wars. They were, they were true to the message and the, and the feeling of Star Wars. And everything that happened in the series to me felt vital to the overall story. Um, it's not just a side story. It's not a tangent story. You know, this is an ep- that if you if you watch these movies in chronological order as of the timeline that they occur in, this is absolutely must see 
viewing. Like you can't skip over this. You have to yeah. see this to understand everything that came after because it really ties into it very, very nicely. So for as, as your closing thoughts, um, what were your takeaways from the series in general? I mean, exactly what you said, ironically. I mean, um, at first I was kind of like, well, I was excited because it's more Star Wars. I, I would always err on the side of, okay, I want, I'd rather have more Star Wars than less Star Wars. So even if I'm skeptical of how they're going to portray Obi-Wan or what the story is going to be about in this one, uh, I, I still want to see more Star Wars. And from the, the talented uh, producers and directors that we've seen work on The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, um, I, I had a lot of faith going into this because I knew the same people that worked on those projects worked, worked on this one. So I was like, well, this might be a lot different um, because of the people that I know that are involved. So I think that goes a long way to say that what impact this show means to the greater picture of Star Wars and what it means for episode three and then what it means for A New Hope. And I think it fits in nicely um, with that. And I'm so glad this was a series and not a movie because we wouldn't have gotten those really cool character moments with uh, Obi-Wan interacting with Leia and having those long talks with her. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, just the moment at the end where she comes to meet cousins on the platform and then Obi-Wan shows up and, and, and speaks to her about her her parents. Oh, I know. I mean, I just, I just in tears the whole yeah, time in tears yeah. the whole time. Same. Uh, there's an exchange that Bale and Obi-Wan have that is very good too. Um, uh, Jimmy Smith is amazing in the series. He's yeah. so good. I mean, yeah. th that, that conversation between him and Leia in that first episode, it's just like, I was in tears. Not even a real look on her. Don't ever say that. You are a child. You are an Organa in every way. One day this planet will look to you, Leia. There are many ways to lead. You just have to find yours. Plus, imagine the look on your cousin's face when you get to boss him around for real. <laughs> I love Bale. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I love Bill Organa so much. Like he's like the perfect dad, you know. He really but, is. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I I just I think the performances were amazing. I like you said the music. I actually didn't know that John Williams. I didn't do enough research, I guess, that John Williams didn't score the entire show, but it it's brilliant. You know, like the whole thing. And every time I finished an episode, I don't stop it. Every part, every episode of this series, I listen to the entire score until it's over. Um and I think that's just like a great uh, testament to the quality of the peop of the the people that worked on this series and the story that they wrote. I think I think it's excellent. Yeah, it it really does. Like it, the 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 show really does round out the characters in a way that I didn't expect it to do so uh, elegantly and so thoroughly and so vitally. So um so uh, that kind of wraps up again what I what I said earlier. Uh, this is the point normally in in the show where I would uh, ask you for like wh where can people find you on social media, but you don't really use social media, so I can't really like you don't. But no, if there's, I'm, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> can't find him on Twitter. Can't find him on Facebook. Um, now I know that you have an interest in cars and, and and Porsches. So do you have anything that you do? Like do you post videos or anything like that that you'd like to plug a little bit? 
Yes, I do. Um, I don't post as many videos now, uh, but uh, from time to time, a few like once a month or once every other month, I'll post a video. Um, I am a big fan of Hondas and Porsches, and I have a YouTube channel where I show some of my uh, driving uh, those cars, either on the track or autocross or things like that. But my YouTube channel is DC5 Brandon. So it's letter D, letter C, number five, and then Brandon. And you make very good videos. They're they're, they're really they're very. Well, let, it's okay. I, I can I keep can in mind. I'm using my phone. I'm <laughs> no, using my phone. So yeah, the, the, don't no apologies. You're good at it. It's, it's really good. <laughs> Trust me, you're good. People are going to enjoy it if you're into cars and into like driving uh, videos like. Brandon's channel is what you need to check out. So um, I really appreciate you doing this. This is this is something that I've had on my mind for a long time because we have great Star Wars discussions, and I thought, why don't I just record one? <laughs> it would just be so easy just to sit down yeah. and talk about the show and just record it, our, our thoughts on it. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you picked one that was like a good a good show. Oh yeah, of yeah, yeah. I'm glad it, we we talked about it and start of talking about a bad movie or a bad show. We can actually gush over this one. I think it could have gone in a different direction had we both been unhappy or one of us didn't like it, but that would have been interesting too. So <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Brandon. I appreciate you coming on. No problem. Can't wait to do it again. Thanks again to my brother for sitting down with me and sharing notes on our feelings about Obi-Wan Kenobi. This is the third unscripted interview I've had on this series, and I like the format so much I've decided to make it a regular thing, so I'm hoping to include more guests on future episodes. If you follow me on social media and you'd like to be a guest on this show, drop me a line at clashingsaversnetwork at gmail.com, or you can at mention me on Twitter. I'm DJ Marquis there and Marquis 1205 on Instagram. We are well into the new era of Star Wars television series, and so far, I've enjoyed most of what we've seen, and one of my most anticipated series is up next, Andor. There'll be a lot to discuss before and after Andor airs on Disney Plus this August. Wow, that's a lot closer now that I think about it. I should probably watch Rogue One for the... What is it now, 80th time? You know, just to be prepared. As much as I'm loving all this streaming Star Wars content, I do miss the experience of sitting down in a theater full of people and watching a movie. Star Wars Celebration featured an opportunity for fans to watch the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi together, and I was disappointed that I didn't get to experience that. It's a dream, really, to watch Star Wars for the first time in that way, in that kind of setting. But the exclusivity of that event left a lot of fans out in the cold. And Star Wars should be something everyone can enjoy in the same way. Bringing it back to big screens all across the world is the only way to do that. We're getting new Star Wars movies eventually, but I guess what I'm saying is that streaming shows are awesome, but they're no substitute for feature films. Star Wars belongs in a theatrical setting. It is, and always has been, communal. And after all, there's no reason we can't have both, right? The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. 
All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabres and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabres and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember... Come on, you've got a ways to go. This one, this whole series, hold on a second, Brandon. Uh, Steve is washing a window outside. And <laughs> uh, hold on. Okay. <laughs> it's like, what is he thinking? He knows edit. I'm recording. Definitely edit. We're going to be editing that out.